Hey there, and thanks for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C., and the podcast brought to you by SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a speaker or a meeting planner and you're trying to navigate through this new world of virtual presentations, virtual speaking events and conferences, log on to SpeakerMatch.com and find out more. So speakers are unable to go out and do conferences in person. Those are, for the most part, all off until sometime in 2021. Sporting events are taking tentative steps to get back up and running again. But the last man standing appears to be live musical events. 99% of concerts in the United States of America of all sizes are completely off. And that not only affects fans and entertainers, but millions of behind-the-scenes folks in the live entertainment world. The folks who do sound, the folks who do lights, the folks that take care of of the instruments on stage, the ticket takers, the venue operators. It goes on and on. And a fellow I've known for longer than I'd like to admit at this point is in that world and and does it at the highest levels or did until COVID-19 took him off the road and sent him home. He's my old friend Bruce Hendricks. And he joins us on the Big Time Talker podcast. Buddy, how are you holding up during all this? I'm doing good. You know, it's time to reinvent yourself and get all those things you always wanted to get done but never had time to get done. Well, they're now all done. <laughs> and now it's what's next. All right, let, let's rewind for, for the folks who are listening. Um, you and I met when you were just, I think, just out of high school in Huntington, West Virginia, back in the the mid '80s, and um, you were a musician. You were a very talented, but very young musician, uh, a keyboardist, a piano player. And then what happened? Well, I was actually still in high school when we met. Um, I segued from playing in bars in local West Virginia, got a degree in electronics through Marshall's uh, community program, and started working at music stores fixing gear and did that for several years. And that segue to me having a reputation of being a guy who could show up at the concert venues and fix the gear. And that led me to become a touring technician in uh, 1999. I, I literally went from the cubicle doing tech support and fixing keyboards to being on tour with Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails and having keyboards thrown at me every night. <laughs> Do you remember the sort of the, the very first big break where you were and what that, that first phone call was that said, hey, would you like to go on the road with us? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's marked in my calendar as the day that changed my life. And uh, I had gotten home from a pretty crappy day at my previous job. Uh, it's a wonderful music store in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, and I, the phone was ringing and it literally was, this is so-and-so from Nine Inch Nails. We'd like to take you on our European tour. And uh, I didn't even think twice. And literally the next morning flew to New Orleans to meet Nine Inch Nails and be their technical backstage guy. And and what does that entail? So you, you talk about being a technical backstage guy. Do you fix the instruments? Do you fix the sound system? What do you do? 
Me specifically, I look after the band's keyboards. I also do some guitars. Um, in some bands, they use uh you know playback augmentation uh you know a lot of the pop songs these days require a computer playing backing tracks and i've specialized in all of that um you know i joke that uh when that one singer that they say lip syncs a lot of her concerts well I made those tapes that she lip syncs to. <laughs> All right. So you're working in a music store in, in Fort Wayne, uh, which will remain nameless, but I do business with them myself. They have a big yep. national footprint. And and uh, the, the very next day, you're on an airplane to New Orleans, and you're out with, with Nine Inch Nails. I, I would hate to ask you to, to drop names, except I'm shameless that way. So tell me some of the folks that, that you have been out on tour with. I know some of the ones recently, but sort of walk me through the Bruce Hendricks resume. Well, first and foremost, I am the luckiest, most blessed keyboard technician on the planet. The list of artists I've been able to work with has ranged from everybody from in the R&B world. I worked for Mary J. Blige. I've worked for Guns N' Roses. I've worked for Aerosmith. They're my primary gig. Uh, Seal. Babyface. Uh, so I've been really lucky. I've gotten around to a lot of different genres. Three summers ago, I was on tour with the Dixie Chicks. Wow. And one of the most legendary groups of all time, the Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, uh, Fleetwood Mac. You've also spent some time oh, with yeah. there. Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. Uh, Ten wow. years with Fleetwood Mac and with Stevie Nicks' solo tours. So uh, I, I can't overstate enough for folks who are listening, you know, from wherever they are in the country, all over the world, you know, where we're from in southern West Virginia, this is not um, generally thought of as a bastion of national touring entertainers or road crews. And you were able to put that together. And yet you do something that's pretty unique rather than than live full time in Las Vegas where Aerosmith did that residency or or somewhere else. When you're not on the road, you still fly back home to West Virginia. Yeah, you know, it gets in your heart and you just you miss it so much when you're gone in the hills. And uh, so in 2010, I was I was living in Las Vegas doing a residency with Cher and Bette Midler. And uh, my mom's health was failing, so I came back, um, didn't have a place to live for a couple years, uh, but just helped my mom out and went on tour and then took a break uh, when her health was failing and honestly planned on remodeling my parents' house and selling it and moving elsewhere. But then lifelong friends like yourself came out of the woodwork and I'm just was faced with why would I want to go move someplace I don't know people especially people I've known for 40 years yeah it's funny places like West Virginia you spend your your young years trying like hell to get away from and then as you get a little older you try like hell to get back and you've been able to do that and come back on yep. your own terms um so how do you go from one artist to the next? Is it a business of referrals? Is it a business of, hey, they know that Bruce Hendricks can fix my, my keyboard rig and it'll all be good? How does that happen? 
you know, it's honestly word of mouth. There's many, many times that, you know, our tour manager, production manager will have gotten a call from another artist saying, hey, do you know of any good keyboard techs that are available? And they're like, well, my guy's still working, so they'll ask me, and I'll then in turn refer who I know is working. It's a really small industry, Burke, for the guys who look after the band's gear. Um, there's probably only a hundred guys out there that work at the level I do. And, uh, we all know each other. And so it all becomes, this guy really knows what he's doing and he's a good hang. I know that's a a huge part of it. You know, he's a good hang. He's, he's honest and he's trustworthy and we'll show up on time and sober. And those are all good things. Um, Those are, those are the key things. Uh, and being a bit of a chameleon of personalities to be able to fit in with different people and read the uh the artist's needs as required you have had an opportunity now to travel extensively with these artists you you pack up uh, lots of frequent flyer miles when you're on the road with a band like aerosmith or with fleetwood mac tell me uh how many states in the united states have you been to um 48 I've done shows in every state except Wyoming and Alaska. And what about continents? How many continents? Uh, everyone except Africa. Even Antarctica? Well, you know, only Metallica <laughs> does a show in Antarctica. Wow. So, yeah. so uh, it's uh, 54 countries. 54 countries. Wow. Yep. Had COVID-19 not affected uh, the world, let's see, I would be in Europe right now. Um, let's see. Uh, I would actually be in Berlin doing rehearsals as Johnny Depp's guitar tech for the Hollywood Vampires European tour. So that you bring up an interesting point that I think a lot of people that are not in the industry, maybe their fans don't realize, is that those big tours, those large-scale tours, are booked way in advance. So you generally have, what, a year, 18 months, two years of your life planned out in advance until something like this uh, happens. Usually it's a year is what I like to keep booked, and I was fully booked through – uh, January of next year between the Hollywood vampires and Aerosmith, just those two bands. We're going to keep going the rest of the year. I, I want to talk to you pretty extensively about how the COVID-19 shutdown has affected everybody in the music business, but, but I can't let you go uh, without asking about some of these artists and in, in a general sense, how do artists at that level, these super superstar artists like Aerosmith and Fleetwood Mac and uh, Johnny Depp, some of these others that, that you work with, how do they treat um, the folks that work for them? What sort of interactions or lack of interactions do you have with them? You know, I've been very, very lucky. There's only been a very smattering of artists that weren't just people that I consider my family, friends, uh, artists I haven't worked for in years, I still stay in touch with and uh, consider them friends in my world now. Um, Yes, there are the 
the few smattering of, oh my God, they're just really awful human beings. But, you know, pretty much every one of the artists that I've worked for has just been great. You're a keyboard player yourself. Do you ever look up on that stage and say, man, I wish I could just sit in with a band just one time? Do you wish you were playing? Um, well, there's a funny story about that. Um, a few years ago, Aerosmith had uh, Cheap Trick opening for them, and they weren't carrying a keyboard player. So I started playing Cheap Trick songs for sound check. What? Okay. Yep. So I started playing Dream Police every day at sound check. And about two weeks later, Robin Zander saw me at a hotel restaurant and he's like, Man, why don't you sit in with us? So for the next two years, when Cheap Trick opened for Aerosmith, I played keyboards for them. Get out of here. That's huge. Yes. And uh, in many cases, because I am a player, the need for extra parts is brought up. Uh, for a couple years, I was the second keyboard player offstage for uh, a rock and roll Hall of Fame artist. We'll, we'll remain nameless, but you know, I was beside the stage playing all the extra parts. That's fantastic. So you do get to scratch that musical itch. Just a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Well, every day, first thing when we come in with like the residency with Aerosmith, the first thing the crew does is test everything out. And we we jam. We, we learn songs. We have a good time with it. That's great. What about the coolest places that you've been able to visit or most memorable shows? Um, well, most memorable show will always be the NFL kickoff party in Washington, D.C. with Aerosmith. It was my first year with them. I believe this was 2002 season. And there were 500,000 people in the mall in D.C., um, plus another billion or so worldwide watching it. And uh, they played Dream On, and then they lit the entire sky up with fireworks. Wow, that's pretty amazing. What an incredible life to lead. Um, and then it all very suddenly, for you and hundreds of millions of other people around the world, changed forever in yep. in mid-March. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of, of artists and crew members. You know, our company has a, an entertainment division as well. Uh, who were literally on tour when all this happened and had to come home. What was happening in your life in early and mid-March when everything came to sort of a screeching halt uh, Friday, March 13th? I was actually home on a break, and um, we had started the year very strong. Uh, we played the Music Cares. Aerosmith was awarded the Music Cares Award by the Grammys, then we played at the Grammy Awards. That was pretty cool to stand on stage at the Grammys for the second time. And uh, Aerosmith did nine shows in Vegas for their residency. We were taking March and April off. And then May, we were going to be back in uh, Vegas and then straight to Europe and hit everywhere from Moscow to Dubai to 
Copenhagen. We were all around Europe. So I was, I was a bit lucky that I was just home and watching it unfold and seeing all the friends, Facebook pages says, you know, stating, Hey, it's over. We're done. With, with veteran artists like Aerosmith and Fleetwood Mac, uh, you work with who are, you know, they have members that are in their seventies that are a little older, clearly for the artists themselves, COVID-19 presents a, a real serious health challenge. Um, but I would imagine that the crew traveling in, in close quarters, whether you're on a tour bus, you're all jammed under airplanes. Um, it could have been really scary out there for folks. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's a very person, personal relationship. I'm touching the keyboard that he plays. I'm singing into Steven Tyler's microphone, you know? Um, so you're, you're sharing this very intimate space with the artists and, uh, you know, even, I mean, pre, you know, one person gets sick on the bus, everybody gets sick on the bus. That's just what always happened. You passed it around the tour. Uh, normally this would be just a, a flu or a cold in a few days, you'd be back to good, but you know, COVID's not that. Bruce Hendricks is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. He is a keyboard tech to major recording artist, and he's been a, a touring tech for the last two decades. He and I are old buddies from back in the 1980s in West Virginia, and that's where he remains today because all major tours are off the road. Um, let's pull the curtain back on this a little bit and, and do the Wizard of Oz thing. For for the techs that work in that industry, uh, you know, the, the roadies and the – the tour managers and the folks like yourself that are guitar techs and drum techs, keyboard techs are the majority of you um, independent contractors. I would assume that very few of you are on, on salary. And so when this happens, it just shuts the spigot off immediately. Is that right? It does. Most of us are independent contractors. We usually sign, uh, we're employees of the band during the, time of the tour for insurance and liability reasons um and it is the big dream to find that that one band there are uh, a few artists out there that they keep their crew on salary and they keep them around all the time that's a very few number of major artists that do that i, I can only think of about five or six uh so those are always the most wanted gigs of course nobody leaves that gig because you're you know it's, it's your gig what would you say the majority of of folks that are in your world are doing during this downtime to survive i mean this is this is not what we all thought it would be i think initially it was okay you know we'll come off the road for a couple of months and they'll get this under control and we're six months in and it shows no signs of letting up so uh, you know, funds have to run out. What are what are people doing just to put food on the table? What are you doing to put food on the table? Well, I'm actually sitting here before we talked, filling out a resume for the first time in 25 years. Um, I'm looking at uh, going back into the technology side, technical support for, you know, software companies, but I'm fully prepared to work at the local, you know, home improvement store if needed. Uh, I have coworkers who are delivering packages from Amazon 
And and these these are the guys who were like playing guitar alongside of Slash two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, I've you know literally DoorDash in some cases. Uh, our monitor engineer uh, who makes the band sound good for what they hear for Aerosmith. He's working at Amazon Warehouse. So whatever you have to do to survive. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i very lucky I own my house and I don't have rent or a mortgage. Um, but my coworkers, most of them aren't in that position. So they are just trying to do whatever. And uh, we are probably one of the hardest, most dedicated workers. We love what we do and we work very hard at it. 20 hour days are not out of the question for me for a, a big festival. You know, I have to be there at 2 a.m. to start setting up for a show at 12 p.m. the next night. But now you're home and, and you've got to find other ways to, uh, to put food on the table. And you're right, you're fortunate you, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have high overhead like someone who lives in Los Angeles or New York city. Oh, oh, absolutely. I've always had the plan cause you do get laid off typically around Christmas and the music industry starts back up in February or March. So I always had a nest egg to be okay by, um, the government has been very, uh, you know, generous with the extra income. Um, you know, and the controversy about that, you know, being too much, well, I'm still, even on unemployment, I'm making a quarter of what I made, and my expenses are still what they are. Right, right. And, you know, for a lot of other folks, uh, you know, when that money goes away, they're maybe a month away from uh, from being out on the street. I, you know, I I think about all those folks that, we're just about to get back to work and you just touched on it because tours start to ramp up in the springtime. Yes. And this all gets shut down in the middle of March and, and changes yes. things for everybody. What are you hearing uh, from the folks in the industry that you talk with about the future? What is going to happen next and what, what is it going to look like for fans that want to go back and, and see live music again? Do you have any, any kind of crystal ball that you can look into for us? Honestly, the crystal ball is blank at this point. Nobody is speculating anything where two months ago we were all going to be working by the end of the summer. We were all going to be working at, you know, starting in the fall, uh, you know, and it's just not gone that way. So, you know, even major players, tour managers for Fleetwood Mac and for Aerosmith. They're, we don't know. Nobody is saying anything. How did you get the word when this all came to a, an end for you? Did you get an email? Did you get a phone call saying, you know what, you're not going anywhere? Or was it just kind of understood when, when the world stopped that nothing was going to happen? Did you get an official notification? Yeah, we, we definitely got an official notification. Um and then uh, we were just, you know, the, the the communication from the band was really good from they reached out to when 
pay, you know, our pay was going to stop. We are, you know, when we're going to possibly cancel these shows and postpone. So it was up to a point, very systematically uh, organized. But since, you know, April, we've just been waiting and, you know, who knows when. Just out of curiosity with Aerosmith, it's a, a five-man band. Um, and, of course, veteran band has been around almost 50 years now. How many people do they carry on a, an average show? How many do they employ? Um, in an average concert, there's about 60 people employed and travel with the band. Now, along with that, we require about 60 local stagehands a day to help in the setup and the teardown of all the equipment. And we also have to include everyone who cleans this, the local civic centers, the sports arenas that sell the hot dogs, that take the tickets, that take the parking you know, fees. Those people are all affected. So... All in all, it can be up to like 500 people work a show for just one night. And you think about that and you multiply that across all the different entertainers that are no longer able to get out there and tour, and it gives you an idea of of just how widespread this problem is, and it's very much off the radar. I'm uh, part of the National Conference Personal Managers, and we have a, a letter-writing campaign to our elected officials now to look out for gig workers like, like yourself to – try to give you some relief because that's been, uh, you know, not super forthcoming uh, from the government. I think that they they just don't think of gig workers because you're not in that box that you tend to put other employees in. We, we are a unique industry in that matter. Uh, a few key players, including the president of the NAM, which is the National Association of Music Merchandisers, uh, most people have heard of the NAM show, the big music trade show. It's where we show all the new gear for the next year and the next models of guitars. The president of NAM has been in contact with a lot of different uh, people in D.C. Uh, I've personally reached out to all of my uh, local and regional and national uh, representatives to let them know don't forget us we you know we make it rock and roll but we're hurting right now well we all miss live music and we all want you guys to get back to work and and i want to leave this conversation on a high note because the last time you and i were together in person we just had a great time at this sort of musical reunion of folks uh, back in huntington and and when i looked at you on that stage and i saw you playing I thought about a young guy from the, the mid-80s that I met who just overcame incredible obstacles by dreaming big. So I, I wonder if, if Bruce Hendricks, who, who tours with Aerosmith and Fleetwood Mac, could give folks who are listening a, a blueprint and, uh, on how you really can do anything in life, no matter where you come from. Well, I, I lecture um... – in the high school scene before all this happened on careers. And I tell the kids simply find something that you love more than anything else in the world and do that. And that's how I've done it. I, I love music and the making of it and the technology more than anything. And 
I've been very lucky to have, you know, followed that dream and have gotten there. It's a lot of hard work. It was a lot of late nights driving home from gigs in Lexington to be back in Huntington to get to my eight o'clock class the next morning. Um, but hard work, p- perseverance, and just focus. You just, you know, got to find that dream that you love. Uh, and then in turn, you'll never work a day in your life. You're just going to have fun for the rest of your life. You are the, the true epitome of a guy who made his his vocation a vacation. And uh, you get to see the world on somebody else's dime. That's not a bad way to live. Not at all. Burke, it's been an absolute pleasure. Gosh, it has been you know, I remember doing some of my first shows, Faster Pussycat, at Burke Allen's Teen Club in downtown Huntington. That's right. It's been a lot of years. and uh, A lot of years, sir. I'm proud of you. Bruce Hendricks, our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast, brought to you by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Thank you so much for listening.
Thank you, Burke.